the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. Download the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, and get a personalized feed of exclusive ad free content every day. For access to all the stories at the heart of the game, Use theathletic.com slash SpotTrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, and get 40% off your first year subscription today. My name is Mike Chinetti. Happy Wednesday morning. Happy NFL schedule release day. We're going to take the next 45 minutes and break down the NFL schedule. I am kidding. (laughs) I couldn't care less. It's interesting in September. It's not interesting now. I'm not going to be doing any team comparisons based on rosters versus matchups. There's plenty of other outlets for that. Um, Look, once we get down to 53-man rosters, I'll have plenty of analysis in terms of how it's constructed, how it looks, what it costs, all that good stuff. But this is not a day for me, all right? This is Matt Harvey returns to City Field Day is what this is for me. So not so much in terms of the uh, when is Brady returning to New England discussions, although I'm sure that's already dominating the Twitter sphere. Here's the game plan. I'm going to have a quick little discussion about some uh, quarterback movement here at the Open. And then our old buddy, Paul Hembakitis, Hembo from ESPN. He's the producer of Get Up. He is the compadre of Mike Greenberg on the Greeny Show slash podcast. He's bringing it. A lot of baseball stuff, a lot of numbers, a lot of trout stuff, a lot of tatee stuff, a lot of uh, pool holes and long-term contracts and sort of the threshold and the cutoff. Uh, we get into it pretty good there for about 30 minutes. So that's the back end of this show. Always love having him. But first, look, this this Roger stuff isn't going away. And I, I don't want to hit it directly because I don't think it's it's a direct story yet. It's not. This is going to be, you know, I know Scott and I kind of got ourselves to a point where maybe we both anticipate him not being the week one starter in Green Bay. I, I'm backpedaling just a bit here. And I'm not sure Rodgers has yet. But I will in his honor because I do believe that this is just social media slash cancel culture really taking over here. These things were said. Rogers is calculated. He said something the second he walked off the field last last January that basically said there's going to be a lot of change here. There's no question that there's a rift. There's no question that he is not happy for one reason or another. Here's where I want to get to. You're 37, bud. <laughs> okay. You're 37. And I understand that you that the guy that beat you, the team that beat you, just did this. They just brought in the Hall of Fame quarterback from another franchise, put him on the field with barely no practice, and said, take us to the promised land, and it got done. And, and they steamrolled right over you in, the, in basically the last play of the game in the NFC Championship to get there and get it done. So I understand the recency bias, the uh, what have you done for me lately storylines are right there sitting in front of you. But that is such a freaking anomaly, <laughs> okay? And, 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 I'm, and I'm talking to Aaron Rodgers specifically here because I'm going to give you a half dozen or so different you know, alternatives to, to, to the quarterback movement of, of the past, I don't know, 15 years or so. And there's, of course, good stories, bad stories. That's going to be the case with any position, with any sport, with any change of scenery, you know, positional upgrades, however you want to handle this, you know, sports is fluid. It's not the 1990s where the Atlanta Braves keep their pitching staff for 15 years and 
we all get to fall in love with them every single year all over again. That's just not how it works anymore and love it or hate it. But Aaron Rodgers, you're 37 years old. You're going to be 38 in the middle of the, of the upcoming season. I, I don't care how old Brady is. Like I said, let's throw him out of this conversation because, well, slightly. Let's throw the freakish athleticism, you know, longevity, sustainability, Tom Brady out of this conversation. There's two things to get to. A is the age. Okay, nobody's building around Aaron Rodgers. Okay, Aaron Rodgers going to the Raiders. I don't understand that one iota, not even a little bit. Now, Green Bay wants to do it and acquire a bunch of draft picks. I get that part of it. Aaron Rodgers deciding I'm going to leave Green Bay and that's going to be my landing spot. I don't get that one bit. Okay. The reason that Tom Brady worked in Tampa Bay is simple. It's been said. I'm not breaking news here. That was a team that was ready to win. They were deficient at the one position that Tom Brady could fix. That's it. And he did it. He brought his experience, expertise, and honestly, a little bit of a, uh, of luck. You know, I, I mean, the fact that he was able to remain healthy and dial up the deep ball, which we hadn't seen in years, maybe that was a staffing problem in New England, but, uh, you know, point, point in case is Tom Brady fell into a gem of a situation. The defense was experienced on the front line, young and hungry in the secondary. I mean, everything was perfect. It's perfect. All right. Which team just did this on a smaller level that could easily replicate the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Which team just did this? The Rams. The Rams just did this. The Rams have the defense. Now they lost some, some secondary weapons. That's, that concerns me. But I, I have faith in the fact that they're able to piece this back together with Jalen Ramsey and some, and some other components. But they've got the defensive line. I think they've salvaged an offensive line, I think. And they've got weapons. And they've got plenty of weapons for a 32-year-old Matthew Stafford, which we're not going to touch your contract this year. Let's give it a year to breathe. Nobody's going to expect them to win the Super Bowl this year, but it's not out of, out of the possibility, not even close. Defense can carry you to the Super Bowl. A couple of great plays offensively can win it. I mean, that's literally, if the 49ers were one Jimmy Garoppolo throw away from Jimmy Garoppolo being a Super Bowl winning quarterback. That's just how it works. Which, oh, by the way, was another team that was probably in that scope. They could have, they could have instead of forfeiting their, their draft future for Trey Lance, gone Stafford, maybe Wentz. Definitely Aaron Rodgers. You know, that was definitely going to be a possibility if this was on the table. So, so let's stop right there. Last week, I talked about the timing of Aaron Rodgers dropping this on us. Thursday draft day. Even though there were things said in January, there were some things leaked out in February, March, around there, but nothing to this degree. If Aaron Rodgers really wanted out, the 49ers job has been open for six months, maybe 10 months. Honestly, when they started the back tried last year and they weren't going to be a, you know, reigning Super Bowl appearance team, that should have been Aaron Rodgers' immediate start for, okay, that's the team I'm going to identify. That's my version of the Buccaneers. All right. And I'm going to do everything I can to make it a smooth transition out of Green Bay, work with them behind the scenes you know, after the season and get myself in a position where I can become Kyle Shanahan's next quarterback. 
A, I think San Francisco says yes to this because they're they're in a short window here. They're in a three-year window, which can tolerate a 37-year-old quarterback. And B, I think that would be a sustainable, you know, plan A over a, like I said, mortgaging your draft future when there were other holes to fill. Cornerback, inside linebacker, things like that. Left tackle. Um, That didn't happen for one reason or another. So why didn't it happen? It didn't happen because the Green Bay Packers are a good team, a great team. They have been for a decade, as Scott and I laid out last week. Um, so I'm not buying it is where I've backpedaled to at this point. I'm not buying it because if Aaron Rodgers really wanted to win, guess where you can win? Green Bay. Now, I know they haven't won a Super Bowl in 11 years, 10 years, whatever it is, 2010. A lot of teams haven't won the Super Bowl in that long. And a lot of the problem has been Tom Brady. And it was last year again for Rodgers, you know, in his own division, in his own conference this time. And it's going to be there this year. So you, what, what, are you, what are you asking for? Are you asking for just a change of pace for the last two to three years of your career? Why? Why would you, why would you do that to yourself? Okay. There, there are, you know, the Colts had a significant reason to move on from Peyton Manning. Okay, Peyton Manning got hurt. They had to do what, what's right by them from a business, from a, from, from a franchise standpoint. Peyton Manning getting hurt meant they were a terrible team. And when that happened, they got themselves to the number one pick. Andrew Luck was there. That was a no-brainer. You couldn't have Aaron, Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning on the same roster. So you let him and go find a spot that works. Now, I haven't brought Denver up specifically because Denver is a... They're a, they're a could-be version of the Buccaneers. They're a plan B option of what the Rams are right now. You're, you understand what I'm saying? On paper, that defense looks like it can contend. On paper, these young weapons, if they all take a step forward, could be Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Robert Woods. <laughs> you know, It could be that kind of scenario. But we just haven't seen it. And is that a Drew Locke problem or is it just that this team really is a year or two away from being ripe enough to succeed at a big level? So that possibility still hangs out there. That's why I'm not sitting here on the microphone saying, oh, he is definitely going to be a Green Bay Packers quarterback. I'm leaning now in that direction, maybe 55% because things have calmed and he has done a little bit of, well, you know, got blown out of proportion. There's been a little of that. My point is this. It's Denver or nothing. Nothing, 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 okay? You are in a good spot. Who cares if you hate your GM? Who cares? How much interaction does the quarterback and the GM have to have now from, for the rest of the season? Any? Zero? Can't you filter that out, you know? Now, if there's a coach problem, different ballgame. We're not hearing that. I think that got resolved two years ago when, when there was initial you know, lack of respect between Rodgers and the new coach. That seems to have been worked out. This is a good football team with great offensive weapons, a good offensive line, and a defense that's inconsistent, but they've spent to try to make this thing better. They spent, they were the second biggest spender in 2019. They're trying on that side of the ball to compete. They're not the Buccaneers. They're not the Rams. They're not the 49ers in that regard. There There are better defenses, the Bears, of course. There are better defenses in this conference but they're not the worst and they're NFC championship worthy back-to-back years. 
So uh, I'm done with this for now. It's Denver or bust. You want to go to Denver because there's somewhat of a chance to win. Oh, by the way, you're going to Patrick Mahomes conference. Okay. You're going to Justin Herbert's conference. That's a devastating conference or excuse me, division to be in right now. So is that a good business move at age 37? Even if the roster looks okay, I'm not sure there's a path to win there. Okay. Minnesota's treading water right now. The bears are going to have Andy Dalton slash Justin Fields. That generally doesn't mean massive success. Okay. What are you concerned with Detroit, Jared Goff? Where you are right now is easily the best chance for you to win football games. And at age 37, what the hell else matters? You've made your money. I'm not going to go down the road that this is a contract issue because now we're hearing reports that $46 million per year has been offered to him, which is a whole nother enchilada I'm going to get to down the road here. But it's not contract. It's not winning. It's If it's really just, I hate my GM, who cares? Don't interact with them. Okay. You've got agents, you've got teammates and coaches and plenty of assistants. There's other people that can filter out your interaction with this guy. If it's a, if it's a couple of players you'd rather have on this team, like what, what you want Jimmy Graham back? Deal with the hand you've been dealt. Like every other quarterback in the league has. You're a Hall of Famer. You are in the twilight years. Okay. No one's going to want to rebuild around you. Nobody should be paying to be, rebuild around you. There are ages for that. And Matthew Stafford's age 32 is even on the fringe of being a little bit too old. So here's, let me get to the, to the research here. We talk about how Kurt Warner was, you know, this savvy experienced guy who's, you know, bagging groceries, blah, blah, blah. And then he, the old grizzled vet got thrown into a great situation. Kurt Warner was 26 years old when he joined the St. Louis Rams. They had plenty of time to build a roster and rebuild around him. It was a good roster to start. And they got to the promised land pretty damn quickly. But this wasn't a 40-year-old Kurt Warner coming in and, you know, limping up to the, to the line of scrimmage to uh, launch the ball down the line. That's not what that was, okay? It just wasn't. You know, Matt Hasselbeck, that's a name you probably haven't heard in a while. When he left Green Bay off of his rookie contract, he got traded to the Seattle Seahawks, Mike Holmgren situation. He was 25 years old, like I said, rookie contract. Okay, six straight playoff bursts and a Super Bowl win. That happened. There was time to let it to let it, you know, mature a little bit. And he had time to kind of grow into the role. Drew Bledsoe, it didn't work out in Buffalo, but he was 30 when he went there after Brady kind of resur- you know, rose to the uh, the top. Jimmy Garoppolo was 25 when the 49ers acquired him. Ryan Tannehill was 30 two years ago when he got moved from Miami to Tennessee and, and, and rose to the top there. I mentioned Stafford, 32. Goff, under 30. Wentz, under 30. Okay, this is the time to have that second life. It is. Okay, anybody thinking that that their roster is one year ready for a Buccaneers situation with Aaron Rodgers, you're just blowing smoke up your ass. It's not, it's not a feasible option in the NFL. It's just not. It, what Tom Brady just did is incredible, remarkable. But it is less about Tom Brady and more about what was there to begin with. And I'll put the coach in that conversation, too. It's a big, big part of it. There's no question about it. It's a big, big part of it. You had to get a lot of egos in check, okay? I mean, Pierre Paul's a big a big personality. Dominic Sue's a big personality. 
there's a lot of it on there. You know, Mike Evans clearly had his his riffs with that locker room. I think even last year a little bit, and he's been injury battled. I, look, you know, you bring Gronk into the fold with two other tight ends who can play ball. OJ Howard, Cameron Braid, that didn't blow up. That's coaching. That's good coaching, and uh, that's a huge part of this. I, you know, John Gruden can he handle that? I I don't know. He's a, he's a hell, he was a hell of a coach. We haven't seen much to prove that this version of John Gruden is tested for superstars. We haven't seen that. You know, he's handling Derek Carr pretty well. I, I, this, the rumors that I hear right now just make me want more and more for Aaron Rodgers to get in front of a microphone and say, hey, things got blown way out. I'm sticking it here. You know, I, I, I know where I belong right now, and, and I'm going to put, a, you know, all the BS aside and go play football and try to get ourselves back into contention with the Super Bowl, where we were six months ago with this, with this organization. So that that's the hot take. Okay. Look, there's been plenty of movement. They've tried. Okay. The free agent list of quarterbacks is an unbelievable joke. All right. I mean, the Brady Brady's going to be the top free agent quarterback move ever because of what he did in one year. And yes, Drew Brees. Fine. You know, that was, a young Drew Brees with an, with an injury that some teams decided not to take a chance on, the Dolphins being the, the most famous one, and it turned into a 15-year career in New Orleans. You know, that's got its own chapter in the Hall of Fame. There's no question. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about the Panthers taking a chance on Sam Darnold and seeing if, that, that, if there is an actual franchise quarterback in that body that just wasn't being utilized in, in New York. We see that all the time, all the time, you know, and even a little bit older with the Tannehill situation, you know, did Miami not do right by my, by Ryan Tannehill did the right coaching staff and the right weapons. And that's what Tennessee had, by the way, the right weapons to immediately turn this guy into at least what looks like a five to six year option for the franchise, which is what we have here. But Aaron Rodgers is 37 and I get it. Athletes are playing longer. Rodgers had an MVP year, so I don't mean to be sitting here saying he can't do it anymore. But unless you are win-ready right now, and I don't mean can compete for your division. I mean, you honestly believe that what you have right now, not like fake believe, not like mini camp, get in the huddle, let's go one, two, three, we're Super Bowl contenders. No, no, no. I mean, like if you really think, if, if what you've done this offseason and last offseason in the draft and in free agency has been done to win the Super Bowl in 2021. And that's how teams think. There are specific years where they go for it, pedal down. If you are one of those teams and you think you can drop Aaron Rodgers in and upgrade your quarterback position 20%, then do it. Do it, Denver. Okay? Do it, San Francisco. I mean, not now. That's it, though. That's it. It's This isn't a three-year process with Aaron Rodgers. It can't be. You can't think that way because uh, I don't think he is. I don't think he is at all. So I, I look forward to, at some point in time, Aaron Rodgers coming back, standing in front of a microphone and saying, look, this is my best chance to win. Winning's all that matters. When are we going to hear that from him? Winning's all that matters. And I don't see many other franchises out there in back-to-back conference championships, but we were. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here to do it again. Oh, by the way, he's a smart-ass dude. His agent's a smart-ass dude. Everybody knows how this contract stuff works out there. Everybody. Everybody knows that this is not the year to trade Aaron Rodgers, contractually speaking. It's not. It's not. 
next year is. Okay, same with Russ. It's just not the right year. Same with Kirk Cousins, if you want to bring him into this conversation, because I know Vikings fans are getting antsy. It's not the right year. So, enough, enough. It's not going to go away until somebody makes it go away. But this stuff just doesn't work. It doesn't work, you know? It is an anomaly what we saw last year. It was fun as hell. It is. It adds layers to the Brady chapter, certainly. But it is reckless to think that your franchise can drop Aaron Rodgers in this year and make that happen. It's reckless. It's more likely that a team like Washington gets to the NFC Championship game with Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's more likely. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, there's just a lot out there. You know, and if we go through this quarterback situation, I'll I'll do it quickly here before I we get to baseball with Hembo. You know, I, I after the draft finished, I, I know Scott and I got on here and basically said, "What's left at the quarterback position? I mean, what is out there right now that needs addressing?" And outside of Denver and and maybe Miami, but that's quieted down so much. Um, you know, to me, Miami was going to be Deshaun Watson or bust. And I just don't think that's a tenable situation anymore. Um, there's going to be, this is going to go on and on and on. As we know, the, the litigation process takes for time and, and the court system is going to work it out. And then the NFL is going to have their take on it. So until all that happens, he's going to be on an exemplist. So to me, he's off limits from a transactional standpoint. It's just not going to be a viable situation for any team. And that's why Carolina did what they did. That's why Denver has already acquired Teddy Bridgewater. You know, I'm sure they were in on Watson. They're they're still going to be in on Rodgers because they believe that there's a 20% upgrade there over Locke or Bridgewater. But, you know, Kyler Murray is a lock. Matt Ryan is a contractual lock this year. Lamar Jackson is a lock who may be locked in even more soon in terms of the contract extension. Same with Josh Allen. Sam Darnold has the keys for a year, year and a half here in terms of his guarantees. His fifth year option is now fully guaranteed for 2022. It's Dalton for a few games and then probably Justin Fields in Chicago. Fine. Maybe one of the, maybe one of the, maybe the move of the off season is having Justin Fields kind of fall into your lap, Chicago. That is uh that's the one to watch. No question about it. Joe Burrow locked in Baker Mayfield locked in probably contract coming. Dak Prescott, certainly locked in for three to four years here. Denver, question mark. Don't know the week one starter. Don't know if he's on the roster yet. Detroit, Goff, locked in for a year or two. He's he's pretty much guaranteed through next year. But they would cut bait after a year if it's it's a total disaster. Green Bay, it's Rodgers. And if it has to be Jordan Love or, you know, the rumors out there saying Derek Carr for Aaron Rodgers, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Um it's Aaron Rodgers. It's Tyrod Taylor, I guess, in Houston right now. That's that's where I'm. I think sensible sensible people would say that it's going to start, knowing that the exemplist could be quite a while for Deshaun Watson. It's Wentz for a year or two in Indy, knowing what we know about the guarantees on that contract. Certainly, it's Trevor Lawrence. There's a name on that roster though, Gardner Minshew. That there's some movement possibility there. I, I do believe if you're looking for a viable backup option right now. And I think there's a couple teams out there that could be doing that. Maybe the Rams, by the way, the Rams could upgrade their backup situation. And that would be a, a name to keep an eye on. I think there's a couple of teams that wouldn't, that wouldn't hate having Gardner Minshew on the roster for a lot of reasons. 
certainly Mahomes. He's all set there, and uh, he can get out whenever he needs to get out. He's got Chad Henney back for another year. Derek Carr, Marcus Mariota, it's it's fluid until it's not, but I think Derek Carr is a really nice option. The contract says that you know they can move on whenever they're ready. Personally, I'd give that one more year with Derek Carr. Justin Herbert's locked in, of course. We talked about Stafford in a Rams uniform, Tua, Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, somewhat fluid, you know, but but for me, pretty firm. Cousins is fully guaranteed through 2022, $56 million. So contractually speaking, he's a lock. Don't know what's going to happen in New England. I mean, minimum guarantees on Cam Newton, no guarantees on Jared Stidham. And, uh, of course, Mac Jones yet to sign his rookie contract, but he'll be given all the chances in the world to start week one. Taysom Hill slash Jameis Winston, don't know there yet, but that seems to be enough. That seems to be enough. And then uh, it's probably the uh, one-and-done year for Daniel Jones. Either he figures it out and takes that next step, or they're going to be in a market for a Russell Wilson or somebody like that next year. It's going to be Zach Wilson's keys right out of the gate, and no question for the Jets. I, I guess it's Jalen Hurts' Eagles team this year, although Joe Flacco get, getting you know, double the, the vet minimum says that he'll be there if needed, no question. Ben takes the pay cut, he stays. Mason Rudolph locked in through next year now. Dwayne Haskins competing kind of sneakily. San Francisco, Jimmy, maybe Jimmy, maybe Trey Lance. Look, Josh Rosen's on that roster. Nate Sudfeld's on that roster. Nick Mullen's still on that roster. So there's a, you know, there's some options out there. Russell's all but locked in in Seattle. I'm not going to speak too much more about that in 2021. Of course, it's Brady and Blaine Gabbard in Tampa Bay. It's Tannehill. And I guess Logan Woodside in Tennessee, or that, that could be a uh, Gardner Minshew possibility right there. And then Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke. Kyle Allen, all viable quarterback options for Washington. May see a mixed bag. Maybe may see a QB by committee <laughs> in Washington in 2021. But look, that's a there's good weapons on that offense. It's a good offensive line and it's a great defensive line. Secondary is a little bit suspect, but they've addressed it a little bit offseason wise. It's a sneaky good team. It just is. And like I said, that's the kind of team that has enough around the quarterback that could make an average quarterback win a lot of games. That's what I mean. It could be just as possible that a Ryan Fitzpatrick-led Washington team does damage this year. And that might be, you know, something for gambling purposes out there. All right. So there's not too many holes is my point of going through that. And that's how it should be in the middle of May at the quarterback position. And if you're, if you have any concerns right now, you're looking at a situation like an Aaron Rodgers and you're, and you're hopeful, especially the fan bases. I, I get it. I get it, Raiders fans. You know, you're, you're the Monday night football opener this year. They're, they're, they're going to open your stadium on Monday night football. What better than to freaking roll Aaron Rodgers out there in silver and black and, and kind of christen this thing properly with a future Hall of Famer? Just buyer beware. Buyer beware. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's a hell of a player still right now, and he's a game changer. But he's been supplanted in this system now for three years, but in, in the Green Bay system for quite a while, of course. And it's not easy just to change, pick up a ball, and play at this level somewhere else brand new. Not easy. It's not. E it's, it's, it's miraculous what Brady did. I'll finish on that.
Today's Spot Track Podcast is also presented by Global Sports and Entertainment Division at Morgan Stanley. This is what it's all about in terms of becoming a professional athlete. Athletes themselves want, they want to understand this part of it, the business side of it. Of course, most of them I would imagine do, but they don't want this to be clouding up their days, their thought process. You know, they want people out there that they can trust, that can handle this side of it so that they, he or she can go and just play, train, and focus on the sport itself. And when these two things come together, you can see it. You can see when there's trouble and it's affecting somebody's on-field performance or training performance, or they're out of shape because there's some behind the scenes issues happening. That's where companies like this, who have been established, certainly Morgan Stanley established, but have divisions like this specifically for this kind of situation, this kind of athlete, whether you're an established professional who needs to change their pace, right? They get away from maybe a family member who's doing this right now into a more stable situation or perspective professional athletes, women's sports, men's sports, NFL, NBA, WNBA. If you're about to hit the big time and you know that that comes with paydays, Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment is here to build you a plan, get yourself in line, throw out, throw a loan out to you to help you get trained, your, your pro days, you know, the nutrition part of it, whatever you need to get yourself 100% ready for a draft, for an undrafted opportunity, for the actual season itself, if you're not yet in professional services, this is where to start, okay? They take a bet on you because it's what professional athletes should be concerned about. Okay, let's let somebody else handle this side of it. You go handle your business. We'll meet in the middle when it all gets good. And everybody will be happy, happy, safe, and stable from a business standpoint. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment strives to bring sports professionals the financial solutions they need, including access to financing for supporting prospective NFL, NBA athletes throughout the entire draft process and beyond. Find out more about Morgan Stanley's pre- and post-draft loan program at ms.com slash GSE. That's ms.com slash GSE. Let's talk some baseball with Paul Hembikidis. Paul Hembikidis. Hembo, the producer of ESPN's Get Up, the morning show, the best morning show. Paul, how you been? How's baseball going? How's life going? Um, good, good, and good. I'm a, a ardent Phillies fan, as you know. So um, it's been sort of an up and down season for I guess just about all the clubs yes. in the National League East. I still don't know what's heads or tails, and we're a month in. Obviously, the, the Jacob DeGrom injury, um, as a fan of baseball, I'm obviously desperately hoping it's not much of anything because you know he's really on track to have something of an all-time great season, and he's so good that he himself, even as a pitcher, I think could affect the balance of power within that division. So obviously, we're all looking at that. But so far, so good. I mean, the Phillies bullpen hasn't been historically bad, so I suppose there's, <laughs> there was no there was no you know where to go but up. Yeah, you still have some hair, huh? It's been a weird season. Honestly, the, across the league, I mean, the standings are bouncing around a lot. Um, you know, the usual suspects are kind of hanging in there. There's some interesting names at the top of the list across the board, though. We'll get to baseball in a second. got to ask you this question. Hmm. Is, uh, is your life better or worse when Tim Tebow is in the NFL? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> my life, um, my, my professional life, yeah, it, yeah, it, does yeah. Not, it does not affect my personal life. Um, I don't, I don't know. Yet, my, Paul, wife, yet. My, my, my wife knows Tim a little bit from having worked with him, but you know, we're not, we're not friendly. My professional life is better because there's, uh, obviously always, uh, more to talk about. And 
I'm always sort of amazed at the amount of um, oh vitriol God. thrown his yes. way. Like I, I'm like, look, I, people are allowed to go on TV and the radio and say whatever they want, but I've never, I've, I've never encountered a person in sports whose whose decisions, seemingly innocent decisions, are more micromanaged, I guess, or or criticized than this guy's. Like we're for some reason we for some reason feel like we can just tell him how to live his life. Yes. And I don't quite understand it. Like that's, yeah. that's the thing. Like I, um, like I've always just sort of operated under the, you know, assumption that it's not wise for me to tell people how they should feel or think about certain things. And if he wants to feel and think a certain way about what his career is or could become, who am I to tell him? No, like it's, you could, you could have a reasonable argument, I suppose, about whether or not it's, it's a shrewd move from a football standpoint for a franchise to do that. But what's odd to me is how much criticism he personally receives and i don't quite get that I, I, part of me i think is is jealousy because he's you know he's practically a perfect person as my wife can attest <laughs> so I, I think there's definitely something to that like the squeaky clean image is almost too squeaky clean for people but it's legit and um i know that firsthand yeah that's a nice that's a really nice way to put it um i, I guess the only way that we can kind of get to him at this point is if this works you know mm-hmm. if, if the tight end things works now and he could have had this opportunity in New England years ago. Then there's going to be some backlash, of course. But it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't care either way here. It's just dominating the news cycle today. And, and I know it's going to dominate your news world here, too. No so, doubt. Uh, no doubt. It's a, I mean, it's a famous person. It's a famous person doing an interesting yeah. thing. That's sort of like you just put the ball in the tee and, 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 uh, and hit it over and over and over again. At least that's what we'll probably do all summer. <laughs> Look, I saw him in the minors a few times and I gave mm-hmm. him all the credit in the world. That is not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of switching gears like that and really working his butt off. And I, I know the Mets maybe kept him around for non-baseball reasons every now and then, but he really did give it his all. I mean, he's, he's not out there for himself. He is out there for, you know, what he loves to do. It's not about mm-hmm. look at me, look at me by any means. So, all right, let's get off that back to baseball. Mm. Um, I don't know. Let's start here before we get into the nerdier stuff. What what are the storylines that are kind of driving baseball in your neck of the woods right now? So the um, I'm, I'm, I'm having the opportunity to do a lot more radio these days, as you, as you may have heard yeah. uh, um, with green, which has been a lot of fun because he's really sort of let me, empty the bucket on a daily basis with what I think are the most interesting, you know, treetop storylines in major league baseball right now for much of the beginning of the season. It was how great the Dodgers were and how bad the Yankees were. And over the last couple of weeks, that's obviously sort of been flipped on its head. In fact, the Dodgers have lost 15 of their last 20 games since we had like two straight days of shows hypothesizing about how many games they could win. If Greenberg played left field for them every day in their lineup. So (laughs) that's how, that's how confident we were and then being a potentially all-time great team. But I suppose we shouldn't be counting our chickens before they hatch. I mean, they've already matched their loss total from all of last season. On the other side, the Yankees are a very interesting team to me because while they are something of a prohibitive favorite in the American League, it's also a very flawed roster. So I'm very curious to see over the course of 162, which is going to be obviously a, you know the prevailing storyline for all 30 teams this year, if that roster can hold up and whether or not Brian Cashman is willing to go for the gusto at the trade deadline. They've been they've been much more rational in recent years than you'd expect from uh, for the Yankees to be, at least during the season. This might be the exception. If, the, if that club sees a clear path to the World Series, and look, there's no good excuse for them not to, given how bad the American League is, I wonder if we'll see them make a play for Trevor Story or a player of that caliber or close to that caliber once we hit the trade deadline in you know, late July. Yeah, I, I can't get Max Scherzer out of my head. I mean, if he's mm. going to move, he's that Verlander type player that can really take a franchise completely over the top down a postseason run. So that's definitely the name, I'm, I, even for that team. I mean, they may be an arm short right now in terms of getting themselves into that AL pennant. 
Um, you're right, though. It's a long, it's a marathon, and it's tough to really evaluate on a weekly basis in this league because so many things change every two right. or three weeks. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think the initial thinking of the Dodgers is correct that they're not going to be a 110 game winner, and you know that was never going to be an easy task as it is. So they're down to earth quite a bit, and maybe that's purposefully to some degree. Maybe there's a little bit of a slow play. Maybe maybe there's a hangover, a carryover. All those things matter. You know how that goes in sports. But um, I I don't know. I mean, look, I, I've I've gone in a bunch of different angles with this season so far, and the one I can't get my eye off of Paul is the uh, I don't know the recklessness of pitching. You know, I mean, velocity's up, the loss of control is way up. Hit by pitches mm. are way up. You know, to the point of where superstars are getting hit. I don't know, every three days. I mean, Acuna Jr. not too long ago, it's it's everybody right now. And I'm terrified for any good team that they're going to lose their superstar by way of this. Is there a solution to this? Is there a, a an off-season fix? Is there, you know, moving the mound back fine? I'm not sure that's going to help control. You know, what what's the long <laughs> play with this? You know, I'm, I'm really worried about this. I hate to see it. I hate to see Aaron Judge every other year, you know, out with a wrist injury because of this. It's just a seems to be a little bit of a growing pandemic in the game. It is. I mean, the Venn diagram intersects, intersecting between increased velocity and loss of command is a really bad place to be. Um, but the thing is, I, I have to admit, like in watching, like, and you, you see this, like you said, like every week someone gets hit in the hand or in the wrist. Like hitters have no choice but to leak. Like they have no choice but to, to essentially start their swing on every on every pitch because of how fast guys are throwing. So it's, it's like it's, it is the... It is obviously an increase in velocity, seemingly a decline in command. I'm still convinced that the ball is, is fundamentally different, at least insofar as it is making it a little bit more difficult to control. Maybe it's because they're cracking down more on on foreign substances, but it's also because hitters just essentially have to guess and cheat. Like Ronald Acuna, essentially, every time he uh, even considers swinging, I mean, he's practically checking his swing every time. Like he's leaking his hands so far. Like, that's how Giancarlo Stanton got hit in the face a few years ago, just because these guys have no choice. But to guess, like they just have to start their swings so early. So that's obviously a part of it. But I think you've identified a really important point here. So the the, the and the confluence of these things are are I think pretty ugly and potentially dangerous for the game. Hit batsmen at an all at an all time high. I mean, we're we're talking about the highest rate in a season since the late 1890s. This is the uh, right now there are only 15 hits per game. It would be the the fewest in a season. And the history of the sport, it, the, the league-wide strikeout rate right now is equivalent to the careers of Sandy Koufax and Nolan Ryan. So we're seeing all sorts of statistical oddities. And I think, you know, m- many, many people may have thought that it was something of a quirk for last season because it was only 60 games. And, and it, you, could, you could essentially allow your, your staffs to just blow cheese because, you know, you, weren't, you didn't have to go, you know, go the distance. But it's been even more exacerbated this year. There were 1,100 more strikeouts and hits in the month of April alone. Like there had never been such a month in the history of the sport before. So this is where we are now in fairness to major league baseball, they have acknowledged these are things to, to worry about. They've hired, you know, Theo Epstein and a whole group of people to essentially experiment in the minor league so that we can remedy these problems. But what we're going to see is I think the year of the pitcher 2.0, I've said it many times. I, I, you know, if he's able to stay healthy, I think Jacob DeGrom could have a Bob Gibson kind of season. I think if Mike Trout can find a way to, on base something like 500 this year it should go down as one of the truly great seasons in the history of the sport the run scoring environment is very different than it really ever has been before and greeny asked me on the radio i think last week it was did this just sort of come upon us or has this been sort of gradual and the answer is yes really to both questions like we've seen this coming but over the course of time considering all the players that are coming through the pipeline that are essentially three true outcome hitters and you know two pitch power velo pitchers 
this is this is what you get. Like this is a problem that not a problem. This is a this is a um, these are trends that are started when players are much younger now, even in the you know college minor leagues, the showcase circuit. So it's it's as much a product of uh, who's ending up in the big leagues as it is the way these guys are being coached. And I don't think that's something that's that's being talked about enough. No. It isn't. And, um, you know, I kind of touched on this on our last show, and I'll bring it up with you as well here because it's kind of transitions off of a point you made there. It is a pitcher's year. It was a pitcher's year. It's been kind of dominating in that regard. You and I have talked about how pitchers are the only players you should pay right now, you know, and that's mm. been maybe three, three to five years worth of trend. Mm. But is, the, is, is Jacob deGrom the most marketable player for Major League Baseball? Is he the player... That that major league base that Theo Epstein that, that that the marketing department at Major League Baseball are going to hang their hats on are going to put their investment in to get the young fans in, or or, or can pitchers never be that? Is it always going to be a guy who can jack four fifty or a guy who can put up fifty home runs or or, or, or you know a speedster? Where, where does the game where does the game need to rely on to get eyeballs back on it? Uh, well, historically, the, the most marketable players have been those who play every day. Obviously, with plenty of exceptions. But- Jacob deGrom is is popular and famous, but he does not have near the kind of uh, charisma or, or marketing ability as someone like Fernando Tatis, who, in my judgment, is Major League Baseball's best bet to become the next face of the sport. Uh, I'm of the opinion that the game has really had a tough time replacing Derek Jeter in that role, and I took an unbelievable amount of flack for, for, for sharing my opinion that Fernando Tatis staying in San Diego was a bad thing for baseball, and I stand by it. But all that, all that said, like he, he is... He's Odell Beckham Jr. playing shortstop. He's the most aesthetically please, pleasing player that I've seen since Ken Griffey Jr. Like he's the like if there were to be one player who I would identify as being like who's next, it would be him. He's obviously much younger than Degrom, and Degrom has you know a, um, you know a nice little cult following and for good reason. But he's 32 years old. He's not an especially charismatic person. And look, he could injure his lat and miss six weeks of yeah. uh, of baseball and not play once in, you know over the course of a whole month. So I think there is. There's a lot to that. I mean, look, Sandy Koufax and Nolan Ryan and other, you know, Pedro, other pitchers like that over the years have come and gone and and sort of captivated our attention. But by and large, baseball's history is littered with superstar position players for whom we can most identify with because we get to see him play every day. It makes sense. You know, I, I mean, it seems like it's a dwindling list, but it, it also seems like in terms of the young kids, it's it's a good crop. It's a charismatic crop. It's, a, you know, not so much of an arrogant crop. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Like these guys are embracing this world to some degree. Tatis, maybe Vlad, not yet. He's not quite there yet. And maybe he's been bounced around with that team a little bit. But um, it just seems like maybe there's there's a half dozen players that could carry this game if the game allows them to. I, I think that's probably <laughs> up for yeah, debate. And a, and a diverse group of players, which is also a good nice thing. Point. Because baseball, baseball needs to uh, spread its reach in that regard and, and really uh, attract the younger fan. But I want to circle back to the Tatis point that I made. You and I exchange notes about this a month or two ago, whenever it was, I, I shared that tweet, but yeah. like, do you think that is like, it, it, it was, it was the kind of, I received the kind of reaction that, that really took me back. It was people are, are, are very offended. Like it, it's almost, it's almost as if they can't separate the idea of my team versus the league. Like I don't besmirch the Padres for signing him, nor do I besmirch him for signing it. What I, what I was merely saying was in the grand, like in the grand scope of this thing, it would benefit major league baseball more if that guy was a shortstop for the New York Yankees or the Boston Red Sox or the Chicago Cubs, look, I don't think that's even debatable. That, that isn't to say that it isn't a good thing for the club and a good thing for the player. But I think if you were to ask Rob Manfred in an honest moment, you pick the market for Fernando Tatis Jr., he's not saying San Diego. It's probably right, but I wonder how 
2021 handles that because you know is what you're saying a 20 a 2005 problem and maybe not so much now because i look at his upbringing his origin at dominican republic and maybe san diego's perfect you know maybe san diego is exactly where you can maximize his brand and california as a whole um, you know you put him and his charisma and his way of living and 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 you know honestly the way he speaks he's he's outgoing that stuff doesn't fit the Bronx. It just doesn't. That's not how Derek Jeter was. That's not how Aaron Judge is. You know, that's not the kind of superstars that the Yankees generally promote or produce. Mm -hmm. So I just wonder if he's going to be allowed to breathe a little bit more out there. Now, I understand what you're saying about San Diego versus LA versus even San Francisco. You know, there Mm -hmm. are, there are better markets right there in his neck of the woods in terms of dollars, uh, television brand. and, And, and obviously that's where you're coming from here, but, um, like he's going to get six years. And then there's going to be a, a come to Jesus moment. It's just how <laughs> that's, that was my response to your tweet, by the way, that night. And it was about yes, it eight was. hours after the, uh, the contract signed. So we were, everybody was real ripe and fresh with it. And you and I were kind of blowing smoke at it a little bit. So we both took some heat, but it's realistic. What you're saying is right from a television standpoint. And what I'm saying is just the norm. These guys don't stay there for 10 to 15 years in one place. You know, Bryce Harper's not going to be in Philadelphia for 13 years. I hate to blow that burst that bubble for you, bud. But it's just not how this works. And we can transition right into somebody who couldn't make it, you know, 10 years. And that's Albert Pujols. Just your initial thoughts before we go down the 40-year-olds in massive contract discussion. Just was this the right move? Are you okay with this move? You know, any, anything you want to give to this, contribute to this. Yeah, I mean, this guy had two careers. He had a Hall of Fame career and then he had a replacement level career. I don't think that's hyperbole. Had he, reti- had he retired after he played his last game for the Cardinals? he would have gone into the Hall of Fame and maybe done so on the first ballot. And I'm of the opinion that that would have benefited him in relation to what happened. Nice. Like there are, there are players, there, there are, I don't know, 25-year-old and younger baseball fans that don't remember Albert Pujols being good. Like he, he essentially has had 10 years of complete anonymity. And that, that, that is in part because he's played on bad teams and, because, and in part because he has himself been bad. Tim Kirchner said today on the Baseball Tonight podcast, he thinks that Albert Pujols is one of the five best right-handed hitters of all time. Mm. That is an unrecognizable idea to anyone younger than me. It just is. And that's, and that's what makes me sad because this guy was an all-time great. This guy went from hitting 330 for his career to under 300 over the course of the last decade. He, had, he, had, he has produced negative value over the last five years. This is a player who, had he not had a contract of that size, would have probably retired a long time ago. And I think that is really instructive for both teams and for player. Look, it's easy for me to say you shouldn't sign a 10-year contract that guarantees that none of your descendants ever have to work again. But I will also say that it is it is the responsibility of the player to also protect his own legacy. Had Albert Pujols hurt himself by playing this long, he defiled his legacy. He tarnished his reputation because he was a he was a shell of himself five years ago. What he what he's doing there out there now, like on a baseball field, is honestly somewhat embarrassing. Like if I were him, I would be humiliated by the product that I was showing on a daily basis. And that's an important thing for players to learn too. Like I'm not so sure that this 10, 12, 14 year contract thing benefits the players as much as we all think. Like, sure. Obviously it guarantees them an awful lot of money, but when you, when you look at Albert Pujols and what his career became, I'm not so sure it was worth it for him. Again, in an honest moment, I wonder if, if he would admit as much, what do you think? He probably doesn't say it out loud. Um, you're probably right. I think both sides for sure regret it at this point because oh, of everything yeah. you're saying. He, 
he has boatloads of money. He's the second highest earning baseball player in the history of the game. So mm. it's not like that's a part of it here, you know, and there's more to be made, you know, arguably with that personal services contract, which is just, you know, icing on the cake, the cherry, really. My gosh. There's only one other player active right now that has a contract into age 40. Can you guess? Because because I'm Hembo, it is it, it's a player that is having the exact same situation, but worse because of other influential powers. <laughs> hmm. Is it Miguel Cabrera? No. No. Is it Joey Votto? It, it's Robbie Cano. Ah, good pull. It's Robbie <laughs> Cano who, you're right, you put a, a 12-year-old kid and ask him to watch tape of Robbie Cano today, he has no idea how smooth and, and electric Robbie Cano playing no. second base for the Yankees was. He was one of the smoothest players to ever play this game, and in that regard, he can still do it. But $24 million this year, well, he's not making it this year, 24 next year, 24 in 2023 when he'll be age 40. Um, and certainly the PED stuff is now hanging largely over him. He's not even going to get the accolades. He's going to have, you know, a, a mini Pujols career for, for give or take. But he's not going anywhere. He's not winning any awards. He's not getting any kind of claim for fame because of all that side of it. So th that's the only one, though. So throw all that out the window. There has been... Uh, an education and you know our, our contracts tracker is proof of this you know and honestly the past couple of off seasons are proof paul you know george springer 31 years old he gets a six-year contract garrett cole he's only going to be 38 years old at the end of that contract so there's probably a two to three year decrease in where the end game for these contracts exists versus pool holes and back which you know i think the pool holes contract may become a tipping point and where, and, and the way that baseball has operated from a financial standpoint. So I think it's getting better, but is it good enough? You know, Mookie Betts is signed through age 39. That's kind of the other one hanging out there right now. Is that mm -hmm. going to be a problem? Uh, <laughs> I mean, history says, yeah, or at least yeah. probably. And what I don't quite understand is the, how eager the team is to give these contracts out. And here's what I mean. Like, I would much rather give a player $300 million over eight years than 10. I know the luxury tax threshold is this sort of. Let's talk about salary. it though, Paul, but why, why does it matter okay. so much? I have no, like, I, why are they so I, afraid of it? Are they, uh, they're not broke. I just got, I just theory, saw the Forbes valuations. They're not broke. Yeah, they're not broke. <laughs> my, my sort of running theory here. Uh, and this is, I guess, somewhat conspiratorial is that owners have essentially uh, created a handshake agreement amongst themselves that mm -hmm. we're going to use this, this number as a, as a, you know, soft salary cap to ensure that, player salaries don't uh, inflate to the point that we are uncomfortable paying them. And that's why um, the average contract over the life of this CBA actually decreased, which is almost unfathomable yes. in, in, in sports today. We, we, we've talked about it before, but that's sort of my theory is that the owners have just sort of decided we're not doing this, even though the penalty for, you know, creeping into the luxury tax threshold is honestly like extremely inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. And, and no owner, at least of a big market club would even recognize that that money was missing. Like it's, we're talking about that kind of um, insignificant, but for some reason it has become the going rate for all, all 30 teams and thus spreading these contracts out over the course of 10, 12, 14 years is sort of in style. And in my, in my judgment, it is an absolute mistake. Like I would much rather have to worry about paying uh, we use Francisco Lindor uh, as our example hmm. through his age 35 season with a higher average annual value. And if that means I creep into the luxury tax for a couple of years, so be it, then have to deal with that guy when he's you know almost 40 years old, having, having signed him as a shortstop. Like to me, that is 
like it is it is extremely clear that this luxury tax thing is is to, is, is is being totally blown out of proportion. And I'm also not confident that the next CBA will even include a stipulation in that regard. And thus, why in the world are teams still operating with that as their primary focus? I don't really understand it, and I think it's a pretty significant mistake. I if I were running a, a club, I would definitely be zagging right now and be loading up on higher average annual value contracts and sort of neglecting this idea of, of guaranteeing the player more than 10 years, unless he was someone like Ronald Acuna for whom I can sign a really team friendly deal to. And I'm going to eat up all of his sort of prime years for lack of a better term. So many markets. I mean, 80% of the league has just decided we're going to, we're going to play money ball. And that's a problem. You know, I'm all for, I'm all for that, that kind of strategy every now and then to kind of refresh, replenish, whatever you need to do. Does the luxury tax just need to go? I mean, I would imagine, I would imagine it will be fought for during the next cycle. But if I were the players, like I would be, I would be less worried about the luxury tax and more worried about how quickly I can hit free agency. What's happening okay. now is that, that like, was going to be my next point, Paul, because those yeah, two things one. could help the same problem, right? Yes, I mean the luxury tax. I think is is something that. Um, if it were eliminated, I mean, I think there would be some some unintended consequences and, and might impact smaller market teams in a negative way, which I think would obviously be a consideration and would should you know, we sort care of be though? Should we care if the uh, Dodgers go Manchester United? Uh, we should care uh, insofar as you need thirty relevant franchises, but we should we should care much less yes. than we pretend to care, right? Yes. That's that's what I think. Like I, the, the, the the sort of parity and imbalance, the sort of parity imbalance discussion is one that I think is. Uh, in principle, sounds sounds uh, very legitimate, but in practice, I don't think it ever really applies. Like, like, is it really is it was it really a great thing for baseball that that the Royals went to back to back World Series and won one? Maybe like it's it's a it's a good thing, uh, or that the Rays just did last year. It's a good thing that they have a system for which that can happen. But like, our, like the NBA hasn't suffered because the Grizzlies don't go every year, yeah. right? Like it's not it's not as if they're worried about that. So it's not obvious to me why that should be such a priority. That was a Bud Selig thing, and maybe at that time it was the it was the right thing to do. And look, I, 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 I'm a Philly, I'm a Phillies fan. I work in New York. I might come across as being um, standoffish with you know 20 clubs who can't really operate under the same rules. But like to me, the the health of the overall health of the game matters much more than there do individual go. teams there have as good go. a chance to compete as others. Like I don't know that. I don't know that we, we should be living in a world in which the Rays can spend, as, as, uh, I don't know, a third as much as the Yankees and and beat them consistently. Like that's a that's a tough pill for me to swallow as just a as just a baseball fan and, and as someone with no rooting interest one way or the other. So it's a, it's a, look, it's, there's meant this is a very complicated question that you're asking. So there's a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, levels of, of nuance to it. But I, I think that's probably the most succinct way that I could describe that dynamic. But I would absolutely have circled on my li- uh, number one on my list if I were the players. Get rid of like the six years of service time thing would be would, would be the like the one thing that I would be willing to strike over. That would be my that would be the hill I die on. I agree. I I mean, in some way, shape, or form, I'm not even spe- you know I'm not even here specifying that that needs to change. If you can somehow flex this system so that more players get paid earlier, whether it's mm. increased arbitrations, wh- whatever it needs to be, because I, because Hembo, that would solve. The Pujols problem, too. If you had guys making good coin at age 24, 25, then they're not going to be so worried about having to tack on those two years at age 38, 39, 37 even to make their extra 15, 20. You understand what I'm saying? Front load that money to them. And then teams and players won't have to fight about the late 30s. We shouldn't even be in that market. 
That those should be one-year deals and nothing more. We don't want the pool situation anymore. You're right. It's ugly for him, and it's it's just as ugly for us to watch. You know, so, the, yeah. The, the way the the way the NBA does it is interesting, in which they essentially cap the number of years right. for which you can sign a contract. And I would imagine that would also be something of a nightmare for for Major League Baseball. But wages would would almost certainly go up if that, if that were the case. I mean, the the best players in the NBA make $45, 50000000 million dollars a year, right? Yes. And the underbelly of the league also makes way more than you know the, uh, a baseball and a league average regular having the same playing his you know fourth year of service time like that's the kind of thing that may, like the that the union should be prioritizing and I'm not confident that they've identified the most important things like when you hear the kind of scuttlebutt going back and forth about the the, the arguments that they're having in that ridiculously public tirade I mean uh, back and forth that they went on last year like it's not obvious to me that like they have their ducks in a row they're much more concerned about winning arguments than they are about solving problems and we're not going to get baseball next year if the only thing people are worried about is winning arguments i i love that point the most the the basketball model it's the hockey model too there's there's max contracts in hockey and they're still too long in hockey but um the idea that you can you can earn more to you know earn more and stay an extra year to stay versus getting a a lesser free agent contract to leave that's Mm -hmm. good for baseball and two shorter contracts means more contracts and more contracts means more debate and more debate means more fan input. Yeah. And that's just, look, it's not because I do it for a living. It is a fact when, when, when the money is, is debatable, you know, when Mike Trout has to be decided upon every six years, if that was the max contract, that's good for baseball. You want there to be some, whoa, is he staying? Is he going, you know, what's he going to max out at? That is all, boiler room talk that is good for the game. It drives interest in the game and it makes you want to see the guy in person. So I, I just think more transactions, you know, maybe, maybe guys can stay with one team longer. If you, if you incentivize it properly, I'm all for higher average salaries and shorter, long, shorter actual contracts in terms of term. Um, and I think you're right. Parity needs to stay. It's good for the game. It's part of the strategy of baseball is winning on, on a dime, but you just can't have 85% of the league operating that way. So I mean I, I think you make a good point. Player movement is is as oh. interesting to fans at as the games themselves in many cases. And that was part of the argument I was making about Tatis. It's not just that he's staying in San Diego That's for right. you know the the rest of this century. It's also that we don't have the opportunity every offseason to talk about whether or not he's gonna stay or get traded. Like that like Francisco Lindor, if we're gonna be honest, is half the player. Tatis was at least, you know, through two seasons of his career. Yeah. And if Tatis on, on a, on a yearly basis, like that was the question we were debating on MLB network that in and of itself is super interesting. And baseball even missed that opportunity. It's not just that he stayed. It's that we didn't even ever have a chance to talk about it. That's right. And you know, you, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who doesn't enjoy the NBA and NFL offseason as much as in season. It's just, yeah. it's a 12 month oh, yeah. scenario when baseball misses out on eight of those months, unfortunately. Um, anything else before I get you out of here, man? I mean, it's been a fun uh, season. It's been a knock on wood. It's been a healthy season for most, for the most part. Let's hope it stays that way. Um, it seems like we're going to get a full 162 in and, you know, a little wet in some areas, but um, you know, did you have picks? I don't think I, I missed your picks on the show. Uh, I picked the Braves and the Yankees uh, to, to, to reach the world series. I still think the Yankees are going to be the team last standing in the American league. Cause I think, I just think it's as weak as it's been, if not my lifetime, at least since maybe since interleague play began, I think that was 1997. I just, when you look around the, 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 the American league, like there is like, we're talking about the A's and sort of the surging white Sox. I mean, there's just not a whole lot of great teams top to bottom. There are great players, but there just aren't many great teams. 
top to bottom. And I think the Dodgers' recent slide indicates to me that at least, I mean, they, look, they could win the whole thing again, but at minimum, they're not going to be a juggernaut. Like any team that can lose 15 of 20 is not going to win 120 games. Like that's, and that was the conversation we were having as we, as we began the season. So obviously there's, there's, there's a, a ton of big picture stuff. As far as players are concerned, like I said, if, if, if Jacob DeGrom can make 30 starts, I think we're going to be talking about this season for, for years. And I am all in on the possibility that Mike Trout gives you, gives like an 11, 12, 13 war season. And who knows? Like, I don't, I don't think 400 is, is, is in any way a possibility uh, given how good pitching is right now. But I think if he can, if he makes, if he, if he reaches base more times than he makes out, <laughs> um, <laughs> given, given the current run scoring environment, I think we could be talking about him having an all time great season too. So at least in, in baseball defense, even though the, the game isn't the most desirable it's ever been, I do think some of the big picture storylines and some of the individual players are like are really standing out this year. That's what these kinds of things do. Like when, when the, when the, when the environment changes this much, like the cream really rises to the top. And I think you're seeing some of the most talented players shine early because of it. And it's my expectation. That's what we're going to get for, for the full length of the season. And I think we'll get a couple all time great seasons because of it. I'm so glad you brought up trout. Let's finish on him. Um, yeah. Look, the angels haven't been in, division contention since 2017 and that was like an anomaly you know what I mean like it's been a decade of just disaster and you're right this guy is Joe freaking DiMaggio I mean he is he's whatever you want him to be if you need more power out of him he'll he'll go deep twice in 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 a game you know what I mean he is he is inflexible he is unbreakable he's unflappable he is like the perfect athlete he really is and we're missing so damn much of him what's the breaking point? Because they're at the bottom of this division again. And, and, you know, they go on these runs where they can't beat anybody. What is the breaking point? How do we, how do we get Mike Trout out or, or up? I, I don't know that. Look, I mean, obviously the hope, the expectation is that someday, maybe even while he's still in his prime, we're going to have the chance to watch him play in October. Obviously that's what we all want, but look, the roster isn't any good. And there's no obvious reason for me to believe that they're going to be good next year or even the year after based upon the, the young talent on the team and, and the condition of, the, of, the, of, their, of their minor league system. So that's what, what, that is obviously what is most concerning to me is that we're going to essentially get a decade of Trout without having him ever won a meaningful game, as, as sad as that sounds. Greeny asked me on the radio a week or two ago like to really try and contextualize his greatness. Like for, for the layperson, like how great is this guy? And my answer is obviously based upon what your feelings are about Barry Bonds, Mike Trout is the best baseball player to debut in the last 60 years. Like I, I think I, if you were to sort of do the, 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 the I guess the uh, chronological lineal baseball champs, if you will, from uh, Wagner to Cobb to, you know, to Ruth, to Ted Williams, to yeah. Mays and Hank Aaron, like he's next in line after those guys. Like that is, I don't, I, that is not hyperbole when you consider the the individual career that he is, he is putting together. Like we're talking about Mickey Mantle playing center field the angels and one in four Americans know who he is. Like he has played, he has played the most anonymous career of any all time great player in any sport ever. I'm confident in saying that there's never been a great player, a player of his stature, at least in any sport who has been as little exposed in important games as Mike Trout has. So unfortunately he's not the kind of person who seems inclined to force his way out. In fact, he signed that big contract in part because I think he was happy there and didn't want the drama. And if you're the angels, he's the only thing you have going for yourself. So like what, what benefit do they have to consider moving him either? Like it would, oh, again, this is like the, this is like the, the Tati scenario on steroids. Like you, 
you're missing an opportunity here. Um, an all-time great playing on a bad team on the West Coast is just the worst-case scenario. And that's something of a glitch baseball has going on, going for it right now is some of the best and most marketable and most recognizable players are, you know, playing after most kids are, you know, asleep. And I think that's still a thing despite social media. So, look, the Mike Trout thing annoys me uh, to no end because I, you, you said Joe DiMaggio, I said Mickey Mantle. I think you could really throw in any name that you wanted. Yes. He's, an he's an immortal. And any game he plays that you don't watch is you missing out on immortality. And that's not something that you could have said I, I, for any player, I think, since Barry Bonds 15, 20 years ago. And obviously, we know how that ended up. Nine years, $319 million left in his contract, and every team in baseball would pay it. Oh, my gosh. Every I mean, he, team. He's worth, even the Rays. I mean, <laughs> Mike Trout is worth $100 million a year. No that's, question. That's, I mean, when you consider all that he does in terms of his impact on the field and otherwise, he is he's worth $100 million a year. Like, he is the most valuable person in sports, maybe maybe aside from, you know, a, a quarterback just on a on another level. But that, that guy... I mean, there, there, there are no you, 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 you'll run out of superlatives, you know, if, if you're, if you're asked to describe what he can do, and like I said, any game you, any game he plays that you're not watching, you're missing out, and that's why I do whatever I can to see him play as often as possible. I do too, and, and you can say, you know, we'll bring it back full circle here. Mm. You can say that the Angels acquiring and signing Albert Pujols in 2012. Right when Mike Trout was entering this league, I mean, his first full season was 2011-12, basically, was could be the single reason that Mike Trout has not won. I mean, it's, a, it's an outstanding point. It that's has a good way to frame that it. payroll. Yeah, that's that is an outstanding way of putting it. Like for as beloved as Albert Pujols is, he is as or his play is as responsible for Mike Trout's anonymity as literally anything. Like you can talk about the malfeasance of the organization and their drafting and scouting and player development or their free agent mishaps, or whatever the case may be. But if they had those $240 million to spend on anything else, um, there's a really good chance Mike Trout at minimum would have won a playoff game by now. He's at Paul Hembo on Twitter. He is the producer of ESPN's Get Up, and he's on Greeny's podcast. Is that daily, bud? Yeah, we, um, we do Get Up from 8 to 10, and then we do the radio show from 10 to 12, and then we podcast it right afterwards. So it's a, it's a long day, but it's a lot of fun, and uh, he gives me the chance to scratch my baseball itch almost every day. So, uh, as you can imagine, that's uh, <laughs> that's awesome for me. And and uh, so any anytime you hear anytime you hear some you know, baseball nonsense spewing from my mouth on on the radio, feel free to hit me up and uh, and and keep me in line. It's keeping you on your toes. That's for darn sure. Always appreciate yeah. the time, bud. <laughs> Later, man. All right. My thanks to Paul. He's at Paul Hembo on Twitter. He's the best. Hit him up. If any Mets fans out there, please go at him. He's a diehard Phillies fan, and you should absolutely let him know about that as the Mets sit here in first place right now. <laughs> um, of course, my thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track 40% off your first year subscription for so much content you can't even keep up. And of course, to the Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment Division, ms.com slash GSE gets you started if you're a prospective athlete getting ready for a post or pre-draft situation, and you need some help financially to make sure that you're properly trained, properly aligned, properly ready for your upcoming pro season. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast.